Hi, this is Dr. Ziegenbein, your favorite rheumatologist and fibromyalgia expert coach. Fibromyalgia has the capacity to rule and even ruin your life. I am here to show you how to stand up to it, how to be your fibromyalgia boss once and for all. Well, hello, everyone. I have a super special guest today. Dr. Susan Hughes is a physician, certified life coach, CEO of her coaching and speaking company called Bounce Highest. She's also an international bestselling author and a speaker. And the reason it's so significant that she's here today is because she's my first guest that is willing to share her pain story. Dr. Susan Hughes has is a, a traumatic brain injury survivor, and I will let her tell you details and how it all unfolded. And I'm very grateful and excited that she has joined me today to talk about her story. So welcome, Susan, to my podcast. Thank you so much. I appreciate the invitation. The pleasure is mine and the excitement, trust me. So I would like you to, first of all, introduce yourself beyond to what I already said. And then if you basically don't mind going into your story, how, how it all started. Thank you. Well, as you said, you know, I'm Dr. Susan Hughes. I am a mom of two teenagers which I think a lot of your listeners will find dramatic enough at times because of <laughs> have a incredibly patient husband, which is going to be really important when you go through my story. And as a physician and multiple business owner, I was way too busy and overextended and mm. was, was looking for options. I had my own private practice as a family practice physician. I started it from the ground up, brought on partners, had employees. We had 35 plus employees at any one time. Mm. Had an educational nonprofit because apparently I can't settle on just doing one thing to overextend myself as well as a medical spa and surgical center. And my husband was the stay-at-home dad. Uh, we had a premature child. And he was the much more patient, logical one, whereas I'm just the full speed ahead. And he was just finishing up cancer treatment when we were in a devastating car accident. Mm. Yeah. So can you tell us uh, whatever you feel comfortable telling us about that, how it's basically, I think you were on a vacation, weren't you, when you were involved in a car accident? Yeah. We were on vacation over winter break, and it was uh, we were visiting from the Northwest Pacific Northwest down to Arizona. I actually live in Arizona now, mm-hmm. and we were headed to a Native American festival, and we got rear-ended by an older woman who had borrowed a car, and whether she should have been driving or not, don't know, but the reality is she didn't see us, and hit us, spun our vehicle, and during the spin my head took the window and dislocated jaw, neck injury, undiagnosed shoulder injury. But the biggest thing that was most concerning was the traumatic brain injury. And do you remember, like, do you remember this happening? Did you lose consciousness? I don't think I lost consciousness. I remember, you know, checking on my kids. My daughter was screaming. I looked in the mirror because my, you know, my face was hurting and I could see that my jaw was hanging in an abnormal position. Mm. And I had to self-reduce it. 
because we were on vacation and I had forgotten to bring along an insurance card and the police were not going to let us go until we were able to prove that we had insurance. Oh my God. So, you know, I had to get a hold of a neighbor to break into our garage to get a copy of it from our car because we were on vacation. So we put it on your list, have all your viewers put it on your list. When you go on vacation, take a copy of your insurance card. Oh my gosh. I honestly would not have even like, I would not have uh, saw that that was going to be an issue when you're in a car accident. Did you go to emergency room? Are you? I did. And Uh, The emergency room I went to, uh, they had me see a non-physician provider Mm. who didn't, you know, I said, look, I've got a head injury. I'm concerned about my neck. My jaw's dislocated. And she really didn't do much of an exam. I collapsed in the radiology suite and should have been admitted. But she, you know, I got a copy of the records later. She just put down normal exam. Oh, Wow. Didn't you just say that you injured your shoulder and face and jaw? Oh, yeah. wow. She sent me home, headache, ugly, ugly headache. And that's really, you know, I had had migraines before, you know, as a physician, I had had lots of stress, you know, as a, as a wife whose husband had cancer, you know, there was lots of stress, but the pain cycle that started with the car accident was something, it was something that I think a lot of your listeners can relate to. So was headache the first uh, pain that you started experiencing after? Or were you still having pain, uh, facial pain and jaw pain? Like what? Like pretty much everything. I had facial pain, jaw. I knew was dislocated. It um, was. I had gotten it reduced, but I had significant damage in the TMJ area. I the headaches. The headaches were the ones that were most disabling. I knew I had a neck injury. They knew I had a neck injury, but the shoulder injury was missed for almost two, for over two years. So you were having shoulder and neck pain and the head and facial pain all as a result of the car accident. Correct. And that's pretty common. That's pretty common. But the shoulder pain, you know, they thought that my arm pain was from the neck and they were partially correct because whenever you have discogenic or, you know, disc disease in the neck, you're going to have, you know, some arm pain, but it was also from the shoulder you know, dislocating or subluxing and pressing on the nerves. Did it do any x-rays in the ER, like either of your neck or shoulder or? Uh, they did one of the neck. They did a CT of the head. Okay. And they did, I don't remember. I think they did one of my, no one did an x-ray of the shoulder, you know, that were pushing on the nerve. But whenever there's a traumatic brain injury, you don't want to put somebody through anesthesia. Mm. So I don't tell, tell me more about the traumatic brain injury, because I guess I don't know about it like acutely how it presents and how it's treated. Well, unfortunately, too many physicians don't know how to treat it. Mm-hmm. You know, you brain rest. Um, I had physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy and vision therapy. For me, one of the biggest challenges was I could read, but after you know, five, 10 minutes, my eyes were not able to track. They would fatigue. I just couldn't keep reading. Oh my, and, and this were- started right after the accident or? Correct. Oh my God. So how, so you were trying to work or <laughs> what for? No, you know, I, I wanted to ignore what was going on. And so of I worked for about half a day and then, you know, just tried to close my medical spa, tried to sell my, you know, took a leave from my primary care office, tried to sell the medical spa, couldn't sell it. So I had to close it at a loss, but 
my ability to read was impaired. My concentration was impaired. My speech was impaired and math was gone. Math was gone. I had to relearn how to add, subtract, multiply, divide. And I decided I did not need to learn how to do algebra, but it's funny that trigonometry is coming back. Oh, so tell me, so you're in pain in your neck, head, jaw, you're having trouble reading and speaking and doing math and you are, so you took a leave of absence, thank goodness. And how was it affecting you mentally? Oh, it was huge. It was absolutely huge because if you see someone and they've got a walking boot or they've got a cast, well, gee, you know, they're injured. If you have someone with a traumatic brain injury, you don't have that luxury of a cast. Mm. Someone else recognizes like, oh, there's something wrong here. With a traumatic brain injury, too often people think, oh, wow, well, she's just faking it. Or, Mm. and it was very frustrating because I felt like some people didn't understand that this is not part of, quote, normal aging or something that, and, and I'm not that old, but, you know, some some older people would say, oh, well, I'm older, so I forget things too. When did this happen? When, when did this, this is like seven or nine years ago? Eight years ago now. Eight years ago. So you're, I mean, you're not old now. You were definitely not old then. <laughs> I was not. But people don't recognize that, you know, if you're in and talking, if you listened for a bit, you would hear me slurring. Oh. But people just they didn't recognize it. It's part of those hidden illnesses and fibromyalgia or other chronic pain issues go along with that. People look at you, they don't see a cast, they don't see certain and they don't recognize that it is something that can be very traumatizing and it can be very life altering. And when you introduced me, you said, you know, I've got a, you know, traumatic brain and I do. But the way I introduce myself with it is I'm an unapologetic traumatic brain survivor. And for me, that means that, yeah, some days I accept it better than other days. Other days, I'm just like, yeah, no, I'm just moving forward. But the reality is it is what it is. And so when I'm doing public speaking, when I'm doing you know, workshops or presentations or advocacy work, and if I screw up a word, you know, I say, okay, that is what it is. That happened. I think, you know, one story that I share, it was not that long after the accident. My husband and I went out to dinner and a friend was going to join us, except she was late. So she just wanted to order dessert. So she wanted me to read the menu to her. And my husband started laughing at me. I was talking to her on the cell phone. And I'm like, why are you laughing? And he goes, you just said parfait and sorbet. Mm. It was and sorbet. Right. My ability to, what I was saying was impacted. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, but, you know, the focus really today is how people deal with pain. I mean, your clients patients deal with chronic pain uh, I was gonna because this is uh, you already met so this was okay my apologies for that interruption I was hoping you could because what you're saying is so incredibly relevant for people who suffer from consequences of injuries you are you had trouble expressing yourself you had trouble reading talking and you are a physician who was previously fully functional and have full had full practice so I know that it's a little bit of happy ending with what where you are now, not a little hugely happy ending, but can you take us back to that time after, uh, like when you were dealing with all of these things and how, what were you thinking? How did you process it? What, like how, 
did you get from where you were, which is, it was incredibly traumatizing to where you are now or when you started improving? Well, I think there was a whole myriad, you know, when the different stages of grief, I was in denial. I was actually studying to repeat my board certification at the time. And I had to not take the test because there was no way I was going to be able to read the questions. I was, whenever there's a traumatic brain injury and you're dealing with chronic pain, you've got chronic pain. And so there's going to be a shorter fuse. There's going to be difficulty expressing yourself. You may repeat yourself. And there was times where I was like, okay, this is what it is. I'm going to fight. I'm going to get everything back. And then there were other times where like, okay, this really is not fun. And I was not necessarily the most fun person to deal with during that time. I think one of the challenges that not necessarily all of your clients see, but those that have had a traumatic brain injury, the ability of me to recognize people was impaired. Mm -hmm. So I'm an extrovert. I get energy from other people. And I found myself in a position, the only people I was seeing were the physicians and the physical therapist, occupational therapist in my family, you know, going through rehab. And I didn't want to go out. I was isolating because I would go to Target or Costco and I'd run into patients and they'd come up and they'd give me a great big hug and say, oh my gosh, Dr. Susan, how are you? And I would have no idea who they were. Yeah. And so the response obviously was a very normal one. I didn't want to go out. I didn't want to go out. So, you know, that part of my personality, I wasn't able to, I wasn't able to live the person I was before. And it's like, okay, I have to grow to become the person I need to be and poured myself in. I I had always been a professional development junkie. But I really had to pour myself into professional development. Most of it was with videos and workshops because I couldn't read. I mean, I could read, but only a few minutes at a time before it would just be word salad, garbage. I just couldn't process. I couldn't track. When you say that you you chose to pursue personal development, what did you do then? What, What were the steps? Well, I knew that I needed, I was really concerned. I kept hoping, okay, I can get back to practicing medicine. I can get back, but I don't have function. I don't have normal function in my right arm, which is really important when you're doing physical exams or procedures, as well as, you know, just that memory. You know, I've learned a lot of techniques. I think part of the thing is, you know, that grief. I had had a nearly photographic memory before the car accident. Oh, wow. And then that was gone in an instant. And little things that just were so frustrating. I remember we were we were going to sell one of our cars and the people that came to buy the car, they'd been saving up for a long time. So they had, it was an all cash deal. They had singles, tens, twenties, maybe a couple hundreds, but I had to count the money and I couldn't, hmm. I could not count the money and I had to be totally focused on it. You've got kids. I've got kids. My daughter is extremely bouncy and animated and loud at times. And she would just start singing or dancing or doing something It'd totally break my concentration. And I have to start over. So I'm like, should be quiet while I count? And then I'd start counting and then she starts singing and it's like, oh, I didn't have to start over. It was just so frustrating. And I'm like, this is not who I am. 
And that was so hard because it was who I was. You know, it was not who I used to be. And that was one of the things, and we had talked about that before with how I came up with the name for my business. I was speaking at a big program in Los Angeles and they had, you know, speakers from all over the world there. And I remember speaking from the stage and we were, and I was talking about post-traumatic growth. I'd been talking to people about, Hey, after you've been through something traumatic, whether it be physical, psychological trauma, you know, you have that decision. You can try to, you know, stay where you're at, or you can grow into the person you want to be. Mm-hmm. Made the decision to grow into the person that I wanted to be. And I had been talking and, you know, it was about gratitude. Yeah, I was so grateful. I mean, my husband and my kids were in the car. We were driving a small rental car. And even though we had done an upgrade, the woman that hit us had a very big, you know, Oldsmobile, you know, U.S. steel type car and just, you know, smushed us. And I remember thinking, you know, I was so grateful that my kids were okay. My husband was okay. And that, you know, I was walking and talking and moving all fours, which is what we used to say, you know, when I was working in the emergency room. And I realized it was a major shift and I did it in front of hundreds of people. It was a major shift. And I just stopped. I wasn't just grateful for being alive. I was grateful for becoming the person I had become because of the car accident. Mm. And that was a shift. That I was, was going to say that must have been a huge, uh, like pivot in like you were. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it was from that, that I came up with the name for the company, which is bounce highest. We hear people need to bounce back from adversity. And then we have them talk about post-traumatic growth, which is bouncing higher. And then truly bouncing highest, which is that intentionality where you're going to direct where you want to be. So when did you when did you start thinking how soon after the accident or how many months after did you start considering and contemplating your career as a speaker and author and coach? How soon after was that? It was within within a couple of years. I had three years of really intensive physical therapy, speech therapy, vision therapy. Okay. But I was still during that time. I had I was moonlighting with a, a side gig with uh, some uh, skincare products and was speaking with that. I was coaching a team with that. But I had been speaking and coaching my entire life, you know, working with, you know, being a business owner, trying to grow employees, being a physician leader and setting up independent physicians associations. So it was always part of my DNA and always part of it. It just was not necessarily a paid part of it. Got it. So it basically you already had it kind of in your phenotype. You already were a person who was a leader and a speaker and a coach, but it was not in the position of like helping other recover or uh, bounce highest. It was more from the perspective of a physician who was owner of a practice and had employees. So what enabled you to have that shift, you know, to rather than just surrender to or feel defeated, but like make something so positive out of it and, you know, start a new company. I know that you, you implied you had to leave your job. What, like, what gave you the energy and strength to transform your life and your business into something new? Rolling over, curling up and dying was not an option. Mm-hmm. 
that's kind of joking, but not joking. You know, when people are faced with these inflection points in our life, I knew I needed to be something better than what I was for my kids. I knew that I had a lot more that I could do to make an impact. Okay. And it was a conscious decision. I had always been involved in doing advocacy work, whether it be you know, diversity, excellence, and inclusion, DEI work. I had always been doing that from, you know, early on, you know, in medical school, during residency, when I was out in private practice. And I just poured, you know, more into that. And I think that's part of the recovery journey is, one, you got to keep asking questions. A typical patient that comes to you, I bet they've seen several physicians prior to finding you. And yes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the same way it was with me. And even though I'm a physician, I felt like I was, even though I had the background as a physician, I felt like I was on a solo journey Mm. where I had to, you know, keep asking questions, keep searching, keep trying to find and cobblestone, cobblestone treatment options for myself, you know, Mm. but you know, one neurologist like, yeah, you've got a traumatic brain injury. You just need to give it time. Others are like, okay, you're having a lot of neck pain. It's going down your shoulder into your arm and you can't use your hand. We're just going to keep giving you steroids. Well, Mm -hmm. it's for too many times you cause diabetes. And it was so frustrating. I thought, if I'm a physician and I'm having to go through all this, what about our poor patients out there? What are they going through to go through all this? In addition to having ugly nine to 10 pain in my head for almost a year, almost a year. I mean, that, was was my ne- that was my next question. How, tell us more about your pain, how that evolved since the accident until now. Would you be willing to share that? I think part of it is I didn't realize, you know, I had the dislocated job, but that also caused difficulty with the plates of the skull. And didn't realize all that because, you know, I had a head injury. And I kept, you know, looking for different people and found a gifted physical therapist. And he worked with my physicians and finally figured out how to get that to slide into place. Because I learned I couldn't eat anything prior to seeing him because the pain was so nauseated that I would want to go drive here for puke. So I would make sure that... I didn't eat anything prior to seeing him and riding in the car over because of the visual changes. I couldn't judge where a vehicle was and was always, you know, thinking, oh my gosh, we're going to get hit. We're going to get hit, which gets into that PTSD cycle. But I remember seeing him and he was doing some uh, oral and facial PT and it shifted. And my whole face just went into this massive spasm and it was amazing because it reset. I still get facial spasms, but not like what I had. But that point dropped that headache from a nine to 10 down to something that was much more manageable. So people are like, okay, you're in chronic pain. It's like, yes, I'm in chronic pain. I deal with it, you know, every day. And, you know, what is the normal, you know, people say on a scale of one to 10, you know, with like 10 is you got shot type pain. And, you know, when people deal with chronic pain, you get used to dealing with quite a bit and you have a choice. You can either accept it and, you know, recognize, okay, this is where things are at right now, or you can ignore it. I ignored it for too long. You can fight it. 
you can become very despondent and depressed over that. And I think that's a really important key, especially for those people who are listening. If they are dealing with chronic pain and they are getting despondent, then please talk to your physician, talk to therapist, talk to somebody because the mental game is so critical when you're dealing with chronic pain mm-hmm. because you approach it. And that's one of the things that I deal with. That's one of the things that I work with with my clients is how you perceive something is how you receive something. Oh, say it again. How you perceive something? How you perceive something is how you receive something. Mm, Incredible. So tell us how you were able to shift. You said that you were ignoring it for a long time and then you shifted to accepting it. Oh, I did not want to accept it. You know, as a strong woman, as a leader, as a business owner, as a badass mom, I know you're probably going to have to edit that out. But anyways, I didn't want to accept it. I didn't. I fought. I fought. I was doing all this stuff. And, you know, I was doing aggressive physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, and vision therapy wasn't covered by insurance. And I was having to pay tens of thousands of dollars to be able to read again. And so it's like, I'm going to keep fighting, keep fighting. But there was also that, okay, I've got to accept a little bit where I'm at. And I, there was a huge point, you know, again, you talk about inflection points. I was seeing the rehab doc, and this is probably a year and a half or so, over a year into the journey of working with him. And he looked at me and said, okay, Susan, what part of your life would you not accept if you couldn't get back? And I looked at all the stuff. Yeah, I couldn't walk a straight line. You know, I could drive, but I couldn't see things coming from my side as well as I needed to. So I was always having to move my head. I was playing competitive volleyball, you know, for fun, not, you know, Olympic level, but, you know, fun. I was playing that every week until the car accident. That was something my husband and I loved to do very much into sports. You know, a lot of things I used to pitch softball. I couldn't use my arm. I couldn't go kayaking or white river rafting. I couldn't do all these different things. And the one thing I couldn't accept not getting back was reading. You are saying that you were able and willing to accept everything else that the injuries and pain robbed you of? I didn't want to accept it, but on a bigger scale, on a bigger scale, it was something it's like, okay, I can't necessarily do that maybe later. So I don't have the, Mm. I put three, I'm not going to be an Olympic basketball player. I'll accept that. But I can't necessarily accept that I won't be able to play the sports like I used to be able to. You know, it's different. You know, I've, it's also been eight years. But that ability to read, I, that's, that's when I just started crying. You know, I had not cried. I think maybe that was the first time I cried with the whole car accident was mm. I was a voracious reader. I'm one of those people that has a nightstand that has maybe 10 or 15 books on it at any one time. And was constantly reading and I could read for a few minutes and then I'd put it down. I wouldn't remember what I was reading. I'd try to pick it back up. And that, that was something I could not accept. So that's and, when you started special therapy for reading. Tell us more about that. Or I had already started therapy for reading, but I really, at that point, it's like, okay, let's keep working on this head. And that's when I really started doing more of the videos and the workshops and the more the official training to become a certified coach, speaker, facilitator, and going to these different events across the country. And it was not easy. I mean, I can read fluently again, but I wanted not just to read fluently, I wanted to be able to write. Mm -hmm. And last year, it's almost a year to the day, 
I became an international bestselling author. Tell us more about that. You know, I had been working on a book for a while. And for me, it was so freeing because I was working with a publisher and she said something magical. She said, Susan, you do realize that you've got more than one book in you. Mm. And oh, massive light bulb went off because it's like, oh, well, I can, I can go this direction. I can go that direction. I can go this direction. There are so many different books. I don't need to put everything into a book. It doesn't need to be a, a thousand page book. It can be a few hundred pages. You know, people are going to get bored to tears if they read a thousand page book. And if you're going all over the place. So let's just focus on one thing. And so I was working on putting together, you know, different chapters for the book. This is, you started working on it before the accident or after? I had always wanted to write a book, you know, before the accident, it's like, okay, want to write a book, want to be a best-selling author, want to do a TED talk, you know, 50 countries by age 50, having kids messed with having 50 countries by age 50. But, you know, you have these different goals. You have these different, you know, what are, what are called BHAGs, you know, big, hairy, audacious goals. Mm-hmm. And having the car accident really kind of messed with the timing of those goals doesn't mean that those goals are not achievable, but it messed with the timing of those. And so everything came together with writing the book when my publisher called me and said, Hey, we're doing a special book series for International Day of the Women. And we've got a number, you know, of amazing women authors, and we want you to write a chapter. And so I was able to take, you know, part of the book that I was working on and reframe it into, you know, a smaller digestible form. And we hit number one in the US, Canada and Australia. What was the book? It's called The Gift of the Universe Through Women Who Lead. Okay. That's the book that you contributed with your one chapter. How about your book, your own book? That is that book that I hit number one international bestselling on. Okay. that I'm working on, I have not published yet. I think in part because my journey is not finished. My journey is not finished. You know, part of it is, you know, the recovery. And I think when people and your people that are going to be listening, they're going to see that the recovery is not necessarily a straight line. It's like a roller coaster or a five-year-old drawing on the wall. It's squiggly. It's all over the place. It's messy and it's necessarily orderly but it is what it is. And part of my journey now is, you know, I I feel like over the last eight years, it's like rehab, heal up enough so that I can have another surgery and then recover from that and then rehab, heal enough from that surgery and get to a point where I can have another surgery. You know, the big one, the neck one was huge. You know, the neck one was huge, Um, putting off, you know, back surgery, but the shoulder before the holidays this year got really bad and ended up having it two weeks ago, just over two weeks ago from when we're doing the podcast today that finally, how did it go? A little more than I think either one of us expected a lot more damage in there, but just felt it, it hurt, but it's a different hurt. Mm-hmm. I'm just like ecstatic absolutely thrilled. But of course, wearing a big harness and everything messed with my balance, medications messed with my balance. Gee, having an existing head injury messed with my balance. So two days after surgery, I- Oh my gosh. (laughs) That's such such unfortunate event. Like you're recovering from surgery and on top of that, you you just fall. But I protected my shoulders, my shoulders, but my foot and ankle is not. So I'm in a walking boot for a ankle sprain. 
and foot sprain. And so, you know, I've got two working limbs right now, which is, you know, you know, there was an old um, Life of Brian story, I think, from, anyways, it's an old British uh, film uh, with Monty Python, where it's like, oh, it's just a flesh wound, just a flesh wound. And you'll have to watch that later. But anyways, I've got two working limbs right now. And I, you know, asked you before we did the podcast, but it's like, we're not going to be on video because I've got a walking boot on one side and I've got a, you know, an arm harness on the other side. But, you know, it is what it is. So what am I doing now? Yeah, it hurts. But there's different non-pharmaceutical things I can do, whether it be ice or whatever. But I can volunteer. I can advocate. I can use some of the energy. There's still things I can. I love your attitude. So you said you have two working limbs. You have a non-functional foot and ankle because you decided to fall. I'm just kidding. I'm being sarcastic. I'm so sorry that you fell. This is so annoying that you have to deal with another pain. But I love your attitude. That so you're using what you have. You're you're shifting from being like, oh, this is horrible that I felt or annoying. Like I said, you're shifting to, well, what I can do with what I have. I love it. It is, but it's not just for me. You know, I've got a 16 year old who's got her permit working on getting her license. So she's my driver. She's She's getting a lot more hours. I've got a 20 year old who didn't like to drive and it's like, "Mm, too bad. You need to. So he's been driving to work back and forth, plus going to college. And so it's, you know, allowing myself to let others help me. And I think for your listeners, that is a biggie. You know, too often we as proud, self-confident, independent women like to do everything ourselves. Mm -hmm. And one of the things for me after the car accident was recognizing I needed help. I couldn't do it myself. And one of the things I teach in my course, as well as working with my clients, is helping people understand how to develop their own personal board of directors, allowing mm. people to help you. One of my absolute best friends, she's like, okay, Susan, we're going to set up meals. We're going to come on over and feed you because, you know, you can chop and dice with one hand, but, you know, lifting the pan and trying to get it all done, you know, it's, it's not easy. And people want to help. You know, that's our inherent nature. We want to be able to help others. And if we accept it, we allow them to have that feeling, that feeling of doing something good. Right. And so right now you're recovering from shoulder surgery that went well. There was a lot of damage. You fell and injured your ankle and foot and you're in a boot. Other than these two pains, do you, does your body have other pains that you have to deal with? You know, the neck is always going to be there. The nerve pain, you know, from that's always going to be there. And I think it's going to be something that you're going to be working with your clients. When you go through so much pain and trauma, that's held in your body. Mm. One of the things, and this is me being vulnerable, part of the one of the things is it's like, okay, you know, I know I've been through lots of trauma over the years and, you know, working with someone to help you process that trauma. I think we see that with fibromyalgia. We see that with all kinds of trauma. We see that with PTSD. We see that with depression, anxiety, traumatic brain injuries. Trauma is not just a physical response. There's that emotional, mental aspect of it as well. And after I'd been in the car accident, you know, I had shared, I developed my, you know, got my own personal board of directors, but I also like okay, work with someone who deals with trauma. And so found a psychologist who deals with trauma just because I needed to be able to debrief with someone and having people understand that 
physical trauma. I used to have patients come in to see me and I'm like, well, when I'm dealing with, you know, chronic pain with my patients, it's like, I don't deal with them on just below the neck. We've got it above the neck. How we perceive is how we receive. And so a lot of times when I was taking care of my patients who were going through physical trauma, have them work with a therapist to address the social, emotional trauma that would go along with pain. Are there any specific techniques that you can name for us that uh, help that from your perspective? It's interesting. Uh, part of it, my best friend is a trauma therapist. And I was going down to volunteer after Hurricane Mitch into Honduras. And she taught me thought-filled therapy. We don't understand how it works. It's called TFT but it works and you don't have to have medication. It works in just a few moments. And I'm actually going to be meeting with a physician originally from Ukraine later today. And I'm going to be teaching her and her team how to do thought-filled therapy and helping get together a number of supplies because she's leaving. By the time this will have aired, she'll have already gone and come back from the border of Poland and Ukraine and bringing medical supplies and her skills there. But TFT is very helpful. Thought-filled therapy is very helpful. EMDR is amazingly helpful. That's eye movement, desensitization, reprocessing. Again, you have to use a very skilled, qualified therapist to be able to do that. Did um, you do that on yourself? Did you try that yourself? Oh, I would never do EMDR myself. You really No, did you do it with a therapist for yourself, I saw? Absolutely. Because I believe that when you're working with someone You know, if you're working with someone who, you know, is going through a divorce, who has, you know, different, you know, anxiety, depression, you know, phobias, whatever, there's definitely a place for talk therapy, for cognitive behavioral therapy. But when you're dealing with trauma, a lot of times you've got to pull in that body aspect, that somatic aspect. And I know that you do that quite a bit. We do somatic tracking, right? And emotional awareness therapy, yes. Absolutely. And that is so critical, so critical to truly integrate with what's going on with the mind, the body, and the pain and the trauma response. Mm -hmm. Do you feel so that you feel that those techniques helped you with your uh, somatic experience of the pain with your pain? With the pain and the experience. Yes. Okay. What would be kind of your, we are almost at the hour. I didn't realize how the time flies. Uh, what would be your parting thoughts for my listeners? And also I would like you to share where they can find you if they are interested and inspired to read more about you and your work and your activities. Absolutely. It's simple. Just go to bouncehighest.com. I've got my website. I've got my different courses. I've got coaching. I've got speaking options. Um, I also have the book available through that and can get you a signed copy. But I think, you know, parting words, I think it's so important for people to realize they are not alone and they don't need to isolate when they're dealing with chronic pain. Too often people, much too often people with chronic pain turn to self-harm or turn to other destructive aspects mm. and reaching out and knowing that, Hey, it's going to be okay. It's going to be a different. Okay. But it's going to be okay. And reaching out, asking for help and then getting out of your own way and accepting it when it comes in. Thank you so much for these words and insights and sharing your personal story. We, as I said, you're our first uh, guest who, who was willing to share their own personal pain story. And I 
have to say it's so significant in my opinion because uh it's one thing to say to talk about uh, pain or processing pain in a theoretical terms and another thing completely when you actually share you know your own lived in experience so thank you for being vulnerable thank you for being here and talking to us about it i wish you wholeheartedly complete recovery from the shoulder surgery and from the ankle and foot injury i would like for you to be completely pain-free i know it's not always attainable but i would like your pain to lessen more and i am not saying goodbye i hope that you would be willing to come back maybe in a six months or something like that to give us an update absolutely i appreciate the opportunity and i'm hoping that the people that are listening to this feel the support not just from you but from me as a team that they are not alone it's going to be okay it may not be what we envisioned it to be but it's going to be okay and i'd love to come back and speak again and i appreciate the opportunity thank you thank you so much susan if you love this episode please share with someone who can benefit from it too i'm also available on Facebook. Uh, my personal page is Martina Lenartova, L-E-N-A-R-T-O-V-A. And my business page has name Martina Ziegenbein Coaching, Z-I-E-G-E-N-B-E-I-N. As always, I appreciate lovely reviews or any questions, concerns, or suggestions. I'm here for it. My website is www.winningatfibromyalgia.com.